0: I've just been informed that my microphone wasn't on. And the reason it wasn't on is because I forgot to turn it on. But it's on now. I hope you were able to hear all of that. (laughs) But, But we just read the sixth chapter of Revelation, verses 14 through 17. And it's talking about the opening of the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. And this is going to be a dreadful day for all of those who have rejected Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 5, God is sitting on his throne, and he's holding a scroll with seven seals that needs to be opened to reveal some of the things that are about to be released upon the earth during the time of tribulation. As a matter of fact, this is in the latter part of the tribulation. And, And a scroll was a rolled parchment with writing on it. And a king would write a message on it or have it. He'd dictate it and have it written on there. And then after the message was complete, he signed it. They would roll this parchment up, and where the parchment ended and met the roll, they would pour wax on it, and then he would put his ring into that wax, which was a signet, a signet ring, and uh, he would put that into the wax. The wax would harden, and that seal would, would seal that parchment and keep it closed until it got to this, the person that it was intended for. And that person was the only one that was authorized to break that seal by penalty of the king uh, and penalty of death. If anybody opened it and took a peek, they would be able to know because the wax would be broken. And so the one that was authorized to open that parchment and, and loose that seal was the only one that could look at it. And so here we have the same situation here and uh john the writer of revelation said he saw a strong angel that was proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at it that's revelation chapter 5 verses 2 and 3. so about that time jesus walks over to the throne of god where his father is sitting with that scroll in his hand and in revelation 5 11, and 12 Then John said he heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, which were the guardians of the throne, the four uh, amazing beasts that constantly hovering around God's throne, uh, crying, holy, holy, holy. And so uh, in the presence of them, and then it says the number of them, the the elders and the angels, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I don't know exactly what that is. I wouldn't even try it on my calculator, but it is a lot of people, a lot of angels, a lot of elders, and they're saying with a loud voice in unison, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So Jesus was the only one that was obviously able to open up this scroll and read its contents. And this scroll with seven seals meant that a uh, message was written, the scroll was rolled, a seal went on it, another message was written, the scroll was rolled again, another seal went on it, and so forth and so forth until they had seven seals on that scroll. And then the seals would be broken, and the scroll would be read one seal at a time. And here we are at the sixth seal, and I'll give you a little review on the other ones here in a moment. But uh, you would open the first seal and unroll it, and then you'd come to the second and so on and so forth. I think you got that. But the first four seals brought devastation at the hands of the four horsemen. And we know them as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And uh, they brought devastation to the earth. The first seal revealed a white horse and its rider who is carrying a bow, no arrows. He's just carrying a bow. And he's given a crown. And a, a lot of people think this is Jesus Christ, but it's not Christ, because he's not given a crown. He earned a crown. And, and not only that, but he wouldn't have a bow and no arrows. He would have the sword of the Spirit. And so we have to dis- discern these things, and we have to uh, break it down and rightly divide the word Uh, This could never fit the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll come later on a white horse, but it's going to be a lot different than this one. And so I believe that uh, rider on the white horse was the Antichrist. And it it represented his uh, rise to power, the advent of his power, hence the crown. And uh, so the second seal revealed a red horse and its rider carrying a large sword who represents the creator of war which will follow the Antichrist to power as he begins to take his position as the world leader of a one-world government. And uh, we have to understand that these horses are coming out in succession. The white horse and its rider, because it represented peace, it represented a false sense of security. The Jews were actually going to think that he was the Messiah, but he was a fake Messiah. And so he's disguised with the white horse and and the crown and everything. And then usually after the rise of someone to power, or at least during that rise of power, war follows because that's how he gets into power. So the red horse is fitting. The third seal reveals a food merchant, perhaps the head of commerce at that time. he's riding upon a black horse, which symbolized... Famine, which also is something that usually follows war and comes during war. There's a shortage of everything during a war. And then the fourth seal reveals the fourth and final horse, which is pale green. And upon it rides death, accompanied by hell. And that is usually what follows war and famine. So these riders were given authority over a quarter of the earth. 25% of the people on earth would be killed with sword, famine, and plague, and by means of wild beasts. And the prophet Ezekiel listed them as sword, famine, wild beasts, and plagues in his prophecy. And the fifth open seal revealed a company of martyrs. And they were under the altar of God's throne, and they're praying to God to avenge their unjust deaths. The sixth sixth seal we'll be looking at here in a minute. I'm going to skip that and just tell you. The seventh seal simply announces the the next round of judgment by God, and it's the seven trumpet judgments. So the seventh seal just just announces there's going to be seven trumpet judgments coming. And so uh, the opening of the sixth seal, it launched such horrific disturbances in both the heavens and the earth that it caused all men on earth to get into fear. And tremble, and they all ran to hide, and they're hiding amongst the rocks of the mountains and in caves and anywhere they could find. It reminds me of you know, back in the old days, you turn the light on in the kitchen, and all these little bugs start scurrying for their hiding places, and that kind of what it. I turn the lights on now, I don't see none of that, but back then we used to see things like that. And that's what it reminds me of, you know. God comes on the scene, the brightness of his coming, and all of a sudden the the sinners and the unsaved and the lost and the heathen, uh, all of those that shook a fist at God are running for the hills, and they're hiding in caves and crevices and cracks, wherever they could find to hide. And they're so terrified that they call upon the rocks to fall on them, hiding them from the face of god and from the wrath of the lamb so god and jesus are both involved in this uh wrath they're both involved in this vengeance because they're hiding from the uh the wrath of god and the wrath of the lamb at the same time and they know that the day of wrath has arrived they knew it was coming they had their chances to get saved they had their chances to be born again they had their chances to accept salvation through the lord jesus christ and they denied it for whatever reason but with the opening of the sixth seal we see the following signs and wonders a great earthquake the sun becoming black as a sackcloth of hair the moon becoming red as blood the stars of heaven falling on the earth the sky departing as a scroll when rolled together it just disappears and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. This is a horrific, terrible time, and it's not like this day came without warning or came without surprise. It was proph- prophesied centuries before. The prophet Joel, in in his book Joel 2:30 and 31, he said, "I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day." Of the Lord come. So this day of of God's wrath and the Lamb's wrath is called a great and terrible day. And, And I don't know how else to describe it, but this day, a great and terrible day of the Lord is the day that God and his Son Jesus Christ finally rise up after centuries of being denied and centuries of being abused and centuries of being rejected. And they finally rise up and they take vengeance out on the devil and his whole crew. It is the day of the battle of Armageddon, that he, that the wrath of God. That's the great and terrible day. It's the day of reckoning for the devil, the antichrist, the false prophet, and everyone else that raised a fist against God, the Lord and his chosen people. It's not only they mistreated God and rejected God, but they rejected his people after warning, after warning, after warning. And so the age of grace and mercy is over. And this is a side of God that we don't recognize. This is a side of God that we don't see every day because we're in a time of grace and mercy. God is pouring out grace and mercy, not judgment. The last time he poured out judgment was on his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And that judgment, the wrath of God fell on him. And if you could have seen him that day, you would understand what the wrath of God was like. And not only that, but... The wrath of God caused Jesus to go to hell and spend three days and three nights in the belly of hell because that's where we needed to go. That's where the devil needed to be defeated. And when you want to conquer an enemy, you don't let him come to your house. You go to his house. You go to his country and you conquer him there. This way he knows he's been conquered. And and so Jesus went on the offensive. He went to hell and he conquered the devil in his own domain in his own territory hallelujah Hallelujah. but that was the last time we seen god's wrath so the latter half of the tribulation period is a terrible time for mankind and no man will be able to withstand it except for the children of israel they're going to make it through the tribulation malachi 3 and 2 says but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Nahum, the prophet in Nahum 1.6, he says, Who can stand before his indignation, his anger? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. But you know what? In the midst of all this scary stuff, there is some good news, at least for the true, and I say true followers of jesus christ we have no need to fear god's wrath because like i said his wrath was already put on jesus and if you're in jesus and he's in you he paid the price he suffered god's wrath for you there's no need for you to suffer god's wrath we've already been judged in him we don't get judged again God's wrath is being stored up and is about to be directed to those who have rejected his plan of salvation, have rejected Jesus Christ, have rejected the word of God, and have rejected the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 9 says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. He's not talking about us. And then Nahum again in the Amplified 1 and 2 says, The Lord is a jealous God, and avenging the Lord avenges, and he is full of wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and reserves wrath for his enemies. If you're a true born-again believer, you are not an enemy of God. You are one of his children. He has no wrath for you because you're not his enemy. His wrath is stored up for his enemies. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, it says, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not living in darkness, sisters, so that this day should surprise should not surprise you like a thief in the night. So I don't believe the church will be even be here during the opening of the sixth seal. I don't think she'll be here for the opening of the first seal. I don't think she'll be here for any part of the tribulation period. And I know there's a lot of controversy, a lot of different beliefs on that, but this is what I believe, and this is what I teach in my church. And I believe she will have already been taken to heaven in what we call the rapture. Now, every born-again believer living and dead at the time of the rapture will go to heaven, and the uh, the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. So the graves will be opened, the dead will rise first. They'll go into the air to meet Jesus in the air. He's coming back for the church. He's not going to touch down. This is not considered his second coming. He's just coming to rapture his church, to bring his church out of the earth and into heaven. But the dead will go first, and then those which are alive, true Christians, born-again believers that are alive at that time, They'll be caught up, to, uh, caught up together with them. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture here in a minute. But I want to establish this timeline. At that moment in time, one second after the rapture of the church, there will not be one saved, born-again Christian on the earth at that moment in time. Once the rapture occurs, every true born-again believer of Jesus Christ that is saved will go to heaven, and the earth will be left in utter darkness. There'll be no believers on earth, uh, no physical church on the earth at that time. I mean, the buildings will be here, but the real church, you and I, will be in heaven. Amen? In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, the apostle John experienced an event that is parallel and is a perfect type of the rapture of the church. And I want you to notice this. It's important that we establish this timeline before we go any further because, as you know, the opening of the six seals reveals some pretty horrible things coming upon the earth. And they're so horrible that the Bible said 25% of the earth's population, about 2 billion people, is going to be killed at that time through war and famine and the sword and wild beasts. Two billion people. And that's just with the opening of the sixth seal. After the seventh seal is opened, it announces seven trumpet uh, 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 judgments. And then after the trumpet judgments, there's the seven bowl judgments. They're full of God's wrath. It's going to be a terrible time on the earth. And thank God, if you're a true born-again believer, you won't be here. And before we continue, I want to establish the fact that we won't be here when these horrible events take place. Revelation 4:1 it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking to me, which said, Come up hither... And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now, the first three chapters of Revelation, John is definitely here on the earth. Jesus Jesus is here visiting with him, and he's telling him to write the things that I'm going to show you. And and he shows him things about the church and the the seven existing churches in Pergamos and Thessalonica and the other other five places in in uh, Southeast Asia. And he tells them about different things about the church. And and, uh, some of the things represent uh, a timely message for all the churches throughout all the ages. And so it's a relevant message. It was to the seven pastors of the seven churches, and he, he wrote letters to them specifically. So he was definitely here on the earth talking about churches that were here on the earth. But then in Revelation 4, 1, when he said, come up hither and I will show you things that will happen in the future or hereafter or after you get here. And and Jesus was talking to the apostle John. But John represents the church because after Revelation 4, 1, the church's view changes. The, The church was here on earth looking up to heaven for the first three chapters. And then after chapter 4, verse 1, the church is in heaven looking down on the earth. And the the church doesn't appear on the earth again until the the battle of Armageddon, which we're talking about right now when it returns with Jesus uh, as warriors and as kings and priests and riding on chargers behind the Lord's leadership. So all that time of, of, of the tribulation period, the church is not found anywhere on the earth. So that's why I believe we're not going to be here. Uh, And then John said he heard, as it were, the voice of a trumpet talking with him. Now, we wouldn't think that a trumpet has a voice, but the Bible says it does. And that voice said, come up here, and I will show you things that are going to happen after you get here or in the future. So trumpets make announcements. So sometimes they're referred to as a voice talking to someone. And when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, where he received the Ten Commandments, he's up there talking to the Lord, and the Bible says, The voice of the trumpet was exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And so John heard the voice of a trumpet say to him, Come up hither, and immediately he, the church, was in heaven before God's throne. So someone might say, I never read anything about a rapture in the Bible. And that's because the word rapture is not in the Bible. The word rapture is a Latin word. But it means a catching away. It means to seize something. And that is in the Bible. And that's what I'm going to read to you now in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. This is descriptive of the uh, rapture of the church. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, or we could say the voice of God in light of what we just learned, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up, seized, if you will, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Again, he's just returning for the church. He will beckon the church from the sky, from the air. He will not touch down on the earth at this time. This is not his second coming. But he said, uh, be comforted by these words. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why would this be comforting to us? Because it tells us that we won't be here for the tribulation period. We won't be here when the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth. And that should be comforting to us. Amen? Amen. So this is the time of Jacob's trouble. And Jacob, who later became Israel, and the father of the 12 patriarchs of Israel, which made up the nation of Israel. So this is the time of Israel's trouble. This is not the time of the, of the uh, church's troubles or the believer's trouble. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. And and another indication that the church is in heaven during this time is because Revelation 5 tells us that the saints, you and I, are in heaven singing a new song of the redeemed. And redemption doesn't take place until we get to heaven. Yes, we're redeemed now, but the redeemed isn't made final until we're in heaven. We're saved now, but we're being saved because our Our salvation isn't complete until we're in heaven. So it says here that it was the song of the redeemed. So redemption took place. Salvation was complete. And that don't happen until the church gets to heaven. So they have just been made kings and priests. And they will return to the earth with Christ at the end of the tribulation period. At the opening of the sixth seal. And the saints singing this new song in heaven doesn't happen until after the catching away, the seizing of the church, or the rapture of the church. Amen? Amen? All right, now in Matthew 24, 15 through 22, Jesus himself warned the Jews of this particular time. He said, When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that uh, are nursing in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. He's talking to Jews here, not believe the church hadn't been born yet. So he's definitely talking to the Jews here. And then he says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, great tribulation is the latter half of the seven years of tribulation. It's the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Because the first part is just called tribulation, but the last half is called great tribulation. He said, Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. In other words, it's going to be the worst time that ever happened on this earth in the past or ever will happen again. It's the worst time ever. And then in verse 22, he says, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, not your and I's sake, the Jews' sake. They're the elect people. Those days shall be shortened. Thank God. Even in the time of his wrath, he's merciful. Amen. So Jesus was quoting the prophet Daniel. And the abomination that causes desolation is when the Antichrist turns on Israel by standing in their temple midway in the tribulation period. And he desecrates the temple by sacrificing something in his own name, and he claims that he's the Messiah, that he is God. And that will be the time Jesus said, run. Run. And according to Daniel, this will happen in the middle of the 70th week of his prophecy, which is three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period. And the last half is what Jesus referred to as great tribulation. Thank God the church won't be here. The true church. So if we're not going to be here, why are we even looking at this stuff this morning? Because I said no born-again true Christian that was living at the time of the rapture would be here. If you're a born-again believer and the rapture occurred this morning, you would be in heaven one minute from now. At that moment in time, there will only be unsaved people left here on the earth, and that includes a lot of people in the church as well. Just because you're in church, just because you called Jesus Lord, doesn't mean you're saved, doesn't mean you're born again. Just because you heard the gospel and you said a prayer doesn't mean that you're saved, doesn't mean that you're born again. Your lifestyle tells us if you're saved or born again. Your dedication to the Lord, your wanting to be in his presence and not hide from him, tells us that you're born again. I don't know if you're born again. You don't know if I'm born again. All you see is what I show you on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. That don't don't prove anything. Only the Holy Ghost and God knows who's saved. And when that trumpet sounds and you hear the shout that says, the bridegroom cometh, if you're not ready to go, you're not going. Amen. Amen. You have to be born again. Jesus said you must be born again, or you're going to find yourself smack dab in the middle of this tribulation period that's coming upon the earth. Amen. Amen. And, and uh, you know, the, the reason I'm preaching is that is because I'm talking to people this morning that are unsaved and not sure. If you're not sure, then I, I'd almost bet that you're not saved, you're not born again. And, and what I want to tell you is you don't have to be left behind. When that rapture occurs, you can go with the rapture of the rest of the church. And some people ask why there even has to be a tribulation period. It sounds like a cruel time, and it sounds like God is just being mean like he was in the Old Testament. God done backslid, and he's acting the same way he did in the Old Testament. There has to be a tribulation period because the prophet Daniel said 70 weeks of years or 490 years each each day of each week counts as a year so 70 weeks of years is 490 years that's seven times 70 have been declared for your people and for your holy city jerusalem see it's been declared for the jewish people in the holy city of jerusalem not for the church and here's the reason to finish the transgression that was started in the garden of eden with adam to make an end of sins to make atonement reconciliations reconciliation for wickedness. To bring in everlasting righteousness or right standing with God. To seal up vision and prophecy and prophet and to anoint the most holy place. That's Daniel 9, 24. That's the reason for the tribulation period. Now, let me show you something here. I, I know you're thinking, well, 490 years already passed. Why ain't we in the tribulation period? Well, there was seven times seven or seven weeks of years, which is 49 years from the time that the, the Jerusalem was rebuilt after it was destroyed by Israel's enemies and Israel was scattered all over the year. Well, when they returned and rebuilt the temple, 49 years passed. And then there was 430 years, which was 62, uh, seven, seven times 62 weeks of years. Uh, until the crucifixion of Christ. And after the crucifixion of Christ, now we have 483 years altogether. After the crucifixion of Christ, the prophetic clock stops and the church age begins. And the clock doesn't restart until the rapture of the church. And then the clock restarts and it brings about the seven years of tribulation or the seven days of years or the, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy and at the end of that seven years then we go into the millennial kingdom and so on and so forth and so the the prophetic time clock is paused right now for the church age how do I know when the church age ends again the rapture of the church that's the end of the uh, the church age now the the end of time is is uh, Got all kinds of signs down through the ages. We see signs in the heavens. We have blood moons. We even had a tea chart, which was four blood moons in a row. They happened on Jewish holidays. Uh, one happened. Then we had the uh, uh, Bethlehem Star. happened twice in the history of the earth. Uh, the first time it happened, it was an alignment of some planets that caused the star to burn so bright it would stand out in the sky. The first time it happened, it was in, uh, in the... Uh, not the galaxy, but the thing uh, of Virgo. It, it was in the Virgo thing. And then uh, the last time we had it was a couple years ago, and it was in the, the uh, I forget what they call the, the thing, but. Sign. The what? Sign. The sign? The sign? sign. The. Constellation. Constellation, that's it. The first time it appeared uh, was over the the birth of Jesus over Bethlehem. That's why it's called the Bethlehem Star. And it was in the constellation Virgo, which stands for virgin, which means virgin birth, right down here. And then the last time it appeared a couple years ago, it was in the constellation of Leo, the lion, because it's pointing to the return of Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we got all kinds of signs that the end is near. But the rapture is signless because once the rapture occurs, you can lay out the timeline. Seven years from then, Christ comes back and touches down on earth at the Battle of Armageddon. So if, if we knew when the rapture was going to take place or when the prophetic clock starts again, then we would know exactly when the end time was going to come. So God's not going to reveal that until the church is raptured in the heaven, and now he starts the prophetic clock again. And he finishes the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy, which is the tribulation period. But there's going to be Christians going through the tribulation period, but only because they got saved after the rapture. There was no Christians left here on the earth at the moment of the rapture. But I'm going to tell you what, there's going to be a lot of them getting saved after that. But they'll have to go through the tribulation period, and more than likely they'll be killed for their testimony of Jesus Christ Because these are the martyrs that were under the altar during the opening of the fifth seal, praying that God would avenge their unjust deaths. So the greatest revival on the earth uh, that has ever been seen on the earth, and we've had some great revivals, is going to happen shortly before the rapture because God is such a loving and just God. He wants to give everybody a chance to get saved before the rapture. And then after the rapture, there's going to be another great uh, revival, even greater than any other revival that was ever on the earth. And so I I believe that the pastors and the leaders, it's going to start with them. You know, judgment always begins in the house of God. That's where it starts, and it starts with the head, pastorette. (laughs) No, it starts with the leaders. It starts with the head. And, and uh, I believe there's going to be a greater revival because the rapture will reveal every lukewarm, half-hearted, come to church once in a while, obey the Word once in a while, live for God once in a while. I believe they'll be repentant by the droves then. And then the pastors and leaders that have been preaching a lukewarm gospel that says we have to be tolerant and acceptant of sin... The sin of the day, the sin of the culture. We have to change with the times and change with the cultures. That's a lie from hell. We don't have to change. The word is constant. The word never changes. I don't care what society is doing. I don't say what. I don't care what the culture is dictating. I don't care what the politicians are saying. God's word is true all the time, every time, every day. And God cannot lie. So we don't change because the culture changes. The Bible doesn't change, amen? It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God said, I'm the Lord God, and I change not. So we don't change. We keep preaching the truth. We keep preaching the gospel, amen? Amen. And, And we don't have to be tolerant and accepting of people's sins. We're to preach repentance against sins. We're to tell them about the blood of Jesus Christ. We're to tell them about the Holy Ghost that would infill them and keep them from sinning. We're supposed to tell them about the grace of God. We're supposed to tell them how they can stop doing what they're doing and start living for God. They'll never do that if we tell them that God just accepts you the way you are and God is tolerant of your sin. No, God accepts you the way you are, but he's not tolerant of your sin. He expects you to clean up your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, these, a lot of pastors and, and leaders, they're not preaching the blood of Christ. They're not pe- preaching repentance. They're not preaching the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Uh, and and uh, they failed to preach on sin, repentance, holiness, with which no man will see the Lord without holiness, the cleansing power of the blood, and, and the changing power of the Holy Ghost. They refuse to preach against the designer sins of the day that everybody is saying it's all right, And I'm not going to mention them. You have to figure that out for yourself. Then there's so-called believers that heard the truth from pastors and leaders that were preaching the true word, like this church is, but rejected it because it didn't fit their lukewarm lifestyles. So we're going to have sinners we're going to have people that uh rejected god and we're going to have lukewarm christians all there at the opening of the sixth seal only now after the rapture pastors and leaders after having seen the church depart then they'll start preaching the truth and the people that were left behind then they'll start believing the truth And all these other religions that didn't believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. He's not a way, a truth, a life. He is the, the way, truth, and life. There is no other way, truth, or life. They'll believe it now. Atheists and agnostics, they'll believe it now. Lukewarm Christians that were half-heartedly living for God, uh, who heard the gospel but didn't live it, they'll be living it now. And so a revival will break forth. So the first three and a half years of the tribulation after the Antichrist has come into power with his one world government and one world religion, which we are actually seeing trying to make its appearance on the world stage right now. That's what all of this stuff is about that's going on right now. But remember what Paul said. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. In other words, be alert. Discern the times. The Jews will actually believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah. They will even sign a peace treaty with him, and it will be a great time of peace and prosperity and safety until the middle of the tribulation period. And that's when he'll cause the abomination uh, that will desecrate the temple or cause the temple to be desecrated and, and then he will break his treaty with the Jews, and then he will utterly try to destroy him, just like he has down through the centuries. He hates the Jewish people, God's people. And so it'll also be a time of great deception for the believer, and their faith will be challenged like never before, and they'll be asked to receive the mark of the beast, which is the beast is a, the political one-world government. It's a political system. And they'll, they'll be asked to accept the mark of the beast by denouncing Jesus Christ and their faith. And if they don't, then the penalty will be that they won't be able to participate in commerce or the marketplace. They won't be able to buy or sell in the marketplace. And that'll be hard enough on them. But that's, what, that's they're doing that because they're trying to break them down so they'll accept the mark. And I don't know what that mark is going to be. It may be one of them... Tattoos. It may be a chip that's actually injected in you. It might be. It says on the, on the hand or the forehead. But the forehead in the Bible a lot of times represents a person's will. In other words, it's not a physical mark, but you've accepted him in your mind and in your soul. And so it is actually the the uh, third horseman, uh, the black the black horse and rider, uh, because they won't be able to buy or sell without the mark. And then later it will become. A death penalty if you don't take the mark. And so a lot of people that uh, did get born again might denounce their faith from fear. And that's why we can never allow fear into our lives as Christians. Never allow fear in your life. Because the devil's going to try to get you to bow one way or another. He's going to try to get you to bow just like he tried to get jesus to bow in the wilderness and we can never bow to the devil or his ways and we have to have our minds made up right now that we're never going to bow amen not just in the tribulation i'm talking about here and now we don't bow to the devil now i'm preaching this today at the risk of offending people or at the very least making you very uncomfortable But I love you enough to tell you the truth. And you can even get mad at me if you want, but if I can just save one, if I can just save one through this message, it'll be worth it. Besides, I'm not here to win a popularity contest anyway. But the same people that will be hiding in caves and under rocks, crying for the mountains to fall on them and kill them, are the same people that are hiding from God right now. These people have the same attitude and mentality that a small child has when they get scared and they cover their eyes. If I can't see the monster, the monster can't see me. And that's our attitude and our mentality when it comes to God. If I can't see God, God can't see me. But God does see you. King David said in Psalms 139 and 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Never. God is always there. He's always present. And see, you might think you're hiding from God, but you can never escape His Spirit because it's everywhere all the time and you can never get away from His presence because His presence is in the Holy Spirit. And this statement comes from the heart of King David as he meditates on the greatness of God and realizes there is no place that we could hide from God. So if you're hiding from God, you're just fooling yourself. First of all, no real believer would ever want to hide from God. Why would you want to hide from God? A real believer seeks his presence. A real believer wants to be in his presence all the time. And a real believer knows that praise and worship and adoration will usher in the pra- the presence of God. And so we're seeking the presence of God. We listen to Christian music. We uh, sing Christian songs, we raise our hands and close our eyes. Why? Because we want the presence of God. He inhabits the pres- praises of his people. So we want the presence of God in our lives. If you don't, something is wrong with you as a Christian. If you call yourself a Christian and you want to hide from God, you've got a problem. You'll be here in the sixth, when the sixth seal is open. And it's because of the same reason. The reason you hide from God is the same reason that Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden. It's because of sin in your life. Sin will make you hide from God. And they realized their nakedness, Adam and Eve did, and that made them hide from God. Knowing that everything is laid bare before an all-seeing, all-knowing God will cause you to hide. They were afraid. Fear will have you hide from God. They felt guilt and shame for the first time in their life. Guilt and shame will cause you to hide from God. See, you think your your sin is hidden from God, but it's not. And while you're crouching in your little hiding place with your eyes covered, God is watching you. God sees you. You're not safe. You're not hiding. King David reveals the vastness of God's presence, his being everywhere at all times. And you can never catch God with his back turned. I know there was times as kids, my kids did it, my grandkids did it. They wait till you turn your back and they sneak something. Or they do something. Or they whisper something. I'm going to tell you, don't wait for God to turn his back. He never does. You'll never catch God with his back turned. You'll never pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows. He sees. Maybe this would be a good time for every one of us to begin thinking about this before it's too late. This won't do me a message like this won't do me any good to preach it after the rapture. Because it's not gonna help you. And some people try to convince themselves that there is no God. Maybe that's what helps them sleep at night. There's no God, I don't have to behave, there's no wrath, there's no penalty. There's no great, there's no nothing. When I die, I'm gonna just be kicked to the curb, and that's the end of everything. But the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1:19 and 20: They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You can say there's no God. You can say you don't know God. But you can't open your eyes and look around and then deny God because he is in all of his creation. That's why he said you'll be without excuse. In other words, if you think there's no God, then you've never seen a majestic snow-capped mountain. You've never seen a mighty ocean rolling in and crashing on the beach you never seen a beautiful sunrise or sunset, a rainbow, a star set at night, and a full moon. You must be blind to those things. you never seen a bouquet of colorful flowers or a beautiful hummingbird and wondered about it. You never felt a soft summer breeze or heard a crystal clear babbling brook uh, going in the background. If, you, if you've seen any of those things, how can you deny there's no God? There had to be a God involved in something that beautiful and that majestic. And God said, if you ever experienced or seen any of these things, then you're without excuse because there's no way that you could imagine where those things came from without acknowledging a God or a creator. Psalms 14.1 said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And that's why you're denying the existence of God because if I don't believe God exists, and he can't see me and he can't punish me. If I can't see him, he can't see me. You can deny God and hide from him if you want to, but you'll never succeed. Jonah tried to flee God's presence, but he couldn't. Adam and Eve, as we know, tried to hide from God, but they couldn't. Elijah ran from the presence of God. Samson ran from God. And all the great men and women of of God down through the ages have tried to hide from God at one time or another. David tried to hide from God. But where can we go from God's presence? That's what David was saying. Nowhere. There's not a corner in this whole big earth that we can hide from God. And again, why would you want to hide from God? He's the only one in this world that truly loves you. He's the only one in this world that will never fail you, never forsake you, never leave your side. Why would you want to hide from him? The one who said he has plans for you, plans not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. Why would you want to hide from him? He holds your future in his hand. I wouldn't want to hide from him. See, you don't have to be in Revelation chapter 6. And that's the whole purpose of my message today. You can can escape the wrath of God and the Lamb. You don't have to be exposed to that. God made a way of escape for you, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to close this message, and then we're going to have communion this morning. If you have your communion elements at home, you can go ahead and get them ready now. Um, We passed out our little communion cups as everyone was coming into church this morning, so they're all prepared here. But uh, if you're not sure if you're born again, if you're not sure you're a true Christian, you think there's even the slightest possibility that you're not saved this morning, I want you to say a little prayer with me. It's a simple prayer. It doesn't take very long at all. But it's a powerful prayer, and and all I'm going to ask you to do is believe that prayer in your heart. Repeat it after me, and when we're done saying this prayer, you can be sure that you're saved, you're born again, and you're on your way to heaven, and you don't have to be here for the opening of any of the seals in the book of Revelation because you can go to heaven with me and the rest of the believers that are in here this morning. So if you want to say this prayer with me, just bow your head right now and say, Lord Jesus... Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that God raised you from the dead. I confess it with my mouth. And according to your word, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven. Hallelujah. Now just thank Him for it. Just thank Him for it. It's that simple. You ask, He heard. You received, he gave. Simple as that. Nothing complicated about this. Yeah, but, I, you know, I did this and I did that and I'm involved in this now and I'm living with a woman I'm not married to or a man I'm not married That doesn't make any difference. God accepts you just the way you are now and you'll eventually change because you want to change. Not because you're afraid of going to hell, because you're going to hell. Hallelujah.